Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Big Sister Hotline is recorded on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Sovereignty of these lands has never been ceded. I pay my respects to elders past and present. The Hotline is proud to be an ongoing supporter of JIRA, an Aboriginal-controlled community organisation where culture is shared and celebrated. This land always was and always will be Aboriginal, and Black Lives Matter. Big Sister Hotline, how can we help? Guys, gals, and non-binary pals, you're listening to The Big Sister Hotline, a weekly podcast offering frank, funny, and feminist advice on life, love, and whether or not you should break up with that no-good Nick boyfriend. Spoiler, the answer is always yes. I'm your host, Clementine Ford, author of the books Fight Like a Girl and Boys Will Be Boys, and currently writing the forthcoming memoir, How We Love, which is slated to be out in October through Ellen and Unwin. My guest this week is a writer, a body positivity activist, a friend, and the very first plus-size model to appear in a bikini billboard in Australia. She was revealed last week in Melbourne as the cover girl for Curvy Swimwear on a massive billboard in the middle of the city. She is just simply wonderful. She's been on the show before. I wanted to get her back because I love her so much. Since she was first on the show, we've become really great friends. And I'm really glad to introduce you to her again. She is April Helene Horton, a.k.a. The Bodzilla. April Helene Horton, bloody great to have you back on the hotline. How the bloody hell are you? I'm bloody good and it's bloody good to be here. I'm so excited. (laughs) The reason I wanted to ask you to come back is because you were first, you were one of the first guests on the Big Sister Hotline last year, just after I started when we were thick in the middle of lockdown um, and 2020, which I basically can't remember now. And I asked you to come on because we'd connected on Instagram and become friendly and I wanted to interview you and you did. And that began like a beautiful friendship. And now you're one of my closest friends. We talk all the time. We FaceTime all the time, constantly messaging. And yet we actually only met in real life for the first time two weeks ago. Which just feels so weird to me. And especially because we're talking right now and we can see each other. And this feels like a normal conversation and how I expect to see you. But I'm like, you. I feel so much more like I can relate to every little hair on your head now. Like <laughs> I'm like, I've been, in, I've been in real time with you. And it felt just like 
FaceTime come to life when I saw you. Um, you know, it was so natural and I didn't feel at all like, oh, I'm nervous. I was so excited. I was like, my friend's in there. And you're like, hello, I'm here. I was like, ah! <laughs> so I know good. I felt exactly the same way. I should also just say for anyone listening to this that if I sound especially low and sultry tonight, it's because we're recording this at 9 o'clock at night and I'm trying to be quiet because my son's asleep in the next room. <laughs> so, you know, just this how how mums get it done. Um, right i just feel like one of there's so many things i want to talk about with you today but one of the things that i really love about our friendship is that it is testament to the fact that sometimes like no matter how old you are you can meet people who become you know your chosen family who become your ride or die and i guess one of the one of the things that I love, I would love to talk about with you is that I often get emails and messages from women who say they don't know how to meet friends or they don't know how to meet new women or what advice can I give them or how do they go about doing that? I don't know if I can give any like step-by-step advice on that, but what I can say is that there's, it's never too late. You're never past being able to open yourself up to new people and to meet people who kind of add themselves to your stable of soulmates. Yes, and, and you've touched on the exact thing that I was going to add, which was to say open yourself up. So the main thing for me is that two things. I have realised when it's time to be like, doors closed, babes. Like I know when I need to go I guess, and say I have a boundary or I I need to not necessarily open myself up, but at the same time being open and being willing to go, I really like this person. And I tell people all the time, I will tell you straight away if I like you, because I will know straight away. And I will just say, I really like you. And that'll be that. And telling someone how you feel about them will immediately for them, reassure them that if they like you, they'll be like, oh, I like you too. Hey, look at that. We're friends. So mm. none of this like f- f- pussyfooting around and being like, oh, like I wonder if they like me. I'm very likable. You're very likable. Let's be friends. Um, and I think that there is an element of having to realise also that to maintain really great friendships, you don't have to be in touch all the time, but you have to be compatible with your contact. And I think that's something that we have because we're like, we we know <laughs> I'll text you and you'll be like, oh, or I'll call you. Is it a good time? And you're like, no, but I'll call you back in half an hour. And it's sort of like we can say now's not good, but like we're able to just keep going with each other's rhythm and not be like, oh, she doesn't want to talk to me, um, you know. And then, of course, we never, ever actually call back at the time we say we're going to because <laughs> we always end up doing something else. But that's fine, you know. It's not – I never I – th- I feel like the sign of a good friendship is where you don't feel pressure to – you know, hold yourself to those deadlines because yeah. if if you're busy and if you're just kind of a bad um, texter in general or whatever, you know, I've got friends who I've been friends with for 20 years who may have lived overseas at different points and we've not talked for years, but the moment we pick up the phone or the moment we're in each other's company again, boom, it's just like no time has passed. And that's always a really good sign of a friendship. Also for me, I feel like the people I can categorize as being in my list of absolute best friends are the ones I call when I'm driving (laughs) and (laughs) and you're definitely on that list. But okay, look, the other thing that is really important for friends to do is to champion each other's successes and to celebrate each other's wins. And you have had a major win in the last fortnight. I would like you please to explain it to the listeners. 
It uh, has been a wild ride the last two weeks uh, and being able to have the absolute honour of appearing on a number of billboards across Australia as Australia's first plus-size bikini model for a campaign that was actually called Beach Please. And it is one of the most exciting things I've done, uh, I think, well, at least this year, and it's, you know, all the way into February now, isn't it? Um, <laughs> but I I suppose for me, um, you know, we're talking about a win, but the win is really not just for me. This win is for every single person who saw themselves represented on that billboard. Uh, and so uh, the last last week, uh, if you went to a number of places, but most especially the Burke Street Mall in Melbourne, which is how I ended up being in Melbourne and seeing you, uh, I was on a, I think it's 296 square metre, six storeys high billboard in a bikini, looking hot, loving life. And that that's that's a big one it's a biggie (laughs) how did you feel when you saw yourself on that you know when I say huge scale I don't just mean huge in terms of the billboard but what it represents not just to you but to every girl and woman and you know just person who's marginalized by their body in this incredibly fat phobic world that we live in to see yourself in that position where you are being celebrated and championed and also represented, you know, as a, or you're, you're the representative of joy and life. I keep referring to the billboard as she because I can't, I almost can't fathom the fact that that was a picture of me, that that was me. I'm like, no, she is as another entity all unto herself because the minute that that photograph was taken, Jez turned me into this kind of immortalised thing. I became, it was literally bigger than me. And I think when you say the representation of, of, of joy and of sort of anti-fat phobia, I'm like, God damn, that is a big thing to be. Like that is an epic thing to be and I'm like a little bit speechless still just to be like I can't even explain what it would have meant to 15 year old me mm-hmm. to see her up there uh, and I think to to receive the messages that I've been getting and to get the people that I've been speaking to saying oh my god I needed to see that I'm just like well then I did what I came to do and as I've said I am so excited to have been the first I love I love to make history there's no doubt about that. But what I'm more excited about is to to not be the last person in a marginalised mm. body on a billboard. Mm. I want to read out a a message that you shared on Instagram that someone from someone who you know in your personal life sent to you about teenage April. Do you mind if I do that? Please do. So you posted uh, just after the billboard went up. You posted a text that you'd received from someone who is in your family or you didn't specify, someone you know. And they said, hey, pardon? She's a friend that I used to do. She's a friend that I used to do amateur theatre with. Oh, cool. So they wrote, hey there. All good? Can you hear me? Oh, yeah, you're back. It went all. all, Maybe it's because we were talking at the same time. So your friend said, hey there, so I watched your morning show interview and let me tell you, I got a little bit emotional. 
I have a distinct memory of a conversation with a very young you talking about how you hoped one day to be married with children and that you hoped just one person would love you enough to marry you, that you didn't care if he cheated as long as he didn't leave you. You told me about how little you, how little hope you had that someone would love you like that. This conversation stuck in my head all of these years because it made me sad that you didn't love yourself the way that people around you did. I can honestly say I am so, so proud of everything you have done to empower yourself and the very much wider community. Well done. Your billboards are stunning. Keep doing what you're doing. You're making a difference. And fuck, man, I read that and I'm not going to say that I'm shocked that young girls who are reminded at every turn that they're not good enough feel that way. But, man, it broke my heart to see my friend to see the young you in my friend expressing those feelings and that and knowing that the world made you feel like you didn't belong in it or you you couldn't hope to be loved truly for your whole self because of the bullshit that we have to wade through i read that message and i was walking uh through a shopping center with one of my other really close friends and I I had to stop and I was like, um, I need to read this out to you. And she, she, I watched her face go through everything that you've just described as being able to be like, well, I relate to that. That kills me to hear that. And holy shit, look how far you've come. Mm. And, and, and what I've done, what that will mean to today's versions of those girls. And I was just, I was just stopped still in the middle of this walkway. Sorry to everyone that was probably trying to walk past. And I was like, um, and I just read that and went, oh my God, like I did not know that what I said was so not profound, but that it would profoundly impact someone in the way that they would think about that. I was, I could not have been older than 17. Like I, I want to say that I was somewhere between 16 and 17. Um, so that's nearly 20 years ago. So to, for her to remember that for 20 years and for her to still be able to, I guess, elicit those feelings and, and say like what you did today made me feel about past you this, this way kind of just blew my mind. And anyone would bother retaining <laughs> conversation with me for 20 years was just a little bit mind-blowing let alone knowing fully well that I definitely did say all of those things and that photograph so the person that sent me that message is in that photograph but I've cropped it so that it's that you know for her privacy and so I know that if it wasn't that exact day it was that exact time that we had that conversation so that legitimately is girl Mm. that you see in that photo and I just think if I could if I overheard that conversation now as an adult or if somebody said that to me as a a young person I would just be like I know it sounds naff I know you're gonna think I'm talking crap it gets better you get better things are not I know how intense it is to be a teenager and I know that it's it feels like what you feel then will be what you'll feel forever. And I don't think it was unreasonable of me to say that. Like, I don't think that came from any kind of, it wasn't unrealistic. The idea, I I was regularly told or made to feel like those were perfectly valid, normal, accurate feelings. 
the way that I was treated as a teenager by people in my life, um, you know, school kids are cruel. People who don't know better say things because they think they're concerned and all that kind of stuff. And I think that nowadays we're a little bit more careful about what we say to our own kids and I think we're a little bit more careful about what we say to each other, but we're still not really careful about what we say to ourselves. And that is something that I think a lot of us are still working on. And I, I think I've gotten much better, um, especially in the last probably three years. But I, I guess now I just say like to myself when I feel like I'm about to say something negative, I just stop myself and I'm like, no, don't. Because the minute you open the door for people to talk to you like that, by doing it in front of them, you know, if you're going to talk down to yourself in front of people, um, but also just on your own, when you're on your own and you want to have a negative thought about yourself, you can have it. It's not, it's not that you can't think negatively about yourself, but you've got to realize that that's coming from somewhere and that the things that you tell yourself are not always true. Mm. I shared something on my Instagram the other day, a photograph of me as a, you know, a two or three year old. And uh, it's something that I, I try to remember to do and I'm not always successful at it. You know, whatever your negative self-talk is, we've all got something that we love to poke and prod about ourselves, the terrible, hateful things that we say to the face that we see in the mirror now or even about who we are as people, you know, worthless, um, pointless, stupid. Um, You know, I have a lot of negative self-talk around my you know, high standards that I place on myself for performance in lots of different areas. One thing I've started doing is looking at that little photograph of myself as a kid, you know, a two or a three-year-old, and not just thinking, would you say that to her? Would you look at that little girl and say, you're stupid or you're ugly or you're, you, you know, you're unlovable or no one likes you? Or would you give them a cuddle and ask them to tell you everything they thought about everything because wouldn't it be fascinating to look inside that little person's brain? And I do feel like those little tools and techniques, like I didn't come up with that. That's a pretty standard CBT therapy. But I do feel like those practices are really important for us to remember that, you know, we have those little children inside. I look at that photograph that you shared and I see 16-year-old April and I think, oh, I just want to hold you. And I want to tell you that you have no idea what's coming for you and that all of the incredible things that you're going to experience and the way in which you are going to be, you know, really inspirational for a lot of other people who needed, who you need to have them in your life now, but you might not have them. So you're going to grow up and become that person. Yes, I'm a big, I yeah, and I love that that example that you give about, uh, you know, yourself as a little child, and and you're right. Like this is not that we're revolutionising anything, but being able to actually do it and really practice that, I think, is quite special because I think a lot of people like the idea of being kinder to themselves, but don't know how to start. Um, but that whole be who you needed thing is so real. It's so important because. You can be the person you need today for you today, but also for the you from the past because the you from the past is not, you might be a unique person, but your experience is not unique. And so being that person for young you is being that person for young people today. So 
I look at the teenagers that I see walking down the street where I live and I think if someone in that group of people got something out of what I've done, not this week maybe, but maybe when someone talks to them about it in a month or next year because I imagine that this is just the beginning. I hope that this is just the beginning for um, media campaigns and the way that bodies are being perceived long-term. If somebody gets something out of what I did, then teenage me somehow I feel like gets a little bit of herself back. And mm-hmm. I know if if I had witnessed, if I if I could have been there and sort of said to my own self, like, no, that's just not, do not, A, don't settle for that. B, it's not, none of that is true. What you think about yourself, none of that is true. Uh, and C, what other people think doesn't actually matter. Uh, I still would not have believed that. 16-year-old me would have been like, who's that lady? She's Mm. talking rubbish because we're so ready to accept and believe negative things about ourselves. Even even within the confines of wanting to be self-compassionate, we still, we make space for negativity towards ourselves. And you're right, you, you would never say some of the things that you say to yourself to other people, but you allow yourself to do it. And I think it would be useful if we could somehow, I don't know, just always follow each other around and be like, don't say that about my friend. Hey, don't say that about my friend. Mm. Um, but the reality is that we have to be our own friend, I guess, and that as as cheesy as that sounds, I quite genuinely believe that when you can, the side of you that wants to believe something negative can have a conversation with the side of you that realises that that's not true and be like, what? No. And mm. I think that ability to rationalise comes from, an innate self-belief for me that it not that it doesn't matter that I know what's true and that's that so that sometimes I guess doesn't play in my favor when I'm being stubborn and (laughs) disagreeable (laughs) and contrary but um I think being able to harness that that self-belief and know that other people's opinions are not what I'm made of um, really helped me, not that I had a terrible week, but obviously you can imagine with the amount of publicity that also drew attention from people who I don't want attention from. Uh, mm. And I had a spate of weird stuff, you know, that, um, yeah, being able to combat that in my way was really helpful. I wasn't sure if I was going to ask you about, you know, whether or not there'd been any negative backlash because I didn't want you to have to focus on that. But if there has been and you are comfortable talking about it, what does what is the fact that people still care about you like care so deeply about being, you know, having animus towards um someone who's just living their life happily on a fucking billboard, that they care so deeply that they need you to know that they disapprove of it. So for me, I always just, I just say I am, I'm unbothered. I'm peak Mm. unbothered. Uh, And I think it's mostly because I'm like, well, that's not true, is it? It, You know, if someone came up and they were just like, you are a turtle. I'm like, well, but I'm, but I'm not. (laughs) And to me, the sentence, you're a piece of shit because you're fat. I'm like, but I'm not. Am I? Um, And so all the vomit emojis in the world and all the pig emojis in the world can't hurt my feelings. because I simply don't, I just don't have any time for that. Uh, and I think for every negative comment that I've gotten, I think I would say I've gotten about 30 positive mm-hmm. ones. So 
from my point of view, I realize that, and look, positive comments also for me, people think, oh my God, you look amazing. I'm like, mm, look, also I didn't kind of come here for that. Like I, I feel confident with how I look. I'm comfortable with the fact it was on a billboard. I'm super happy that I was able to contribute this action, but I don't need you to tell me I look good. And I don't care if you think I look bad mm-hmm. because neither of those things change my belief about myself. However, what does help me and what increases my happiness is when people say, you made me feel good about myself. So I don't, I don't, look, I'm going to, I'm not going to lie and say that I don't enjoy getting a compliment when I dress up and someone goes, you look nice. I'm like, thank you. I tried to. So, you know, that's the same as if like, this is really good cake. Yes, I cooked it. Like, what? but I, I don't get, I don't need for people to be like, oh, your bikini shot was so amazing. I'm like, it really was. You should have been there. It was one of the most exhilarating experiences of my life. But what I do need is for people to go, I'm going to buy a swimsuit. I'll see you at the beach. That's what brings me joy. And people being negative about it, I'm like, well, just stay home. Mm. Baza. Like if you have a problem, oh, we don't want to see that. I don't want to hear about it. Don't come out then, dickhead. See you later or see you never, really. You know, that's it's really interesting because I know that um, the the women's baths at Coogee in Sydney are, let's leave aside the fact that there's a lot of stuff going on there at the moment in terms of their policies on who can and can't enter. Although what I will say is that if you're a woman, then you're a woman and you should be able to go in and you can't tell what is beneath anyone's fucking bathers. So, you know not being trans inclusive and in fact trans celebratory and trans welcoming in this world today is just unacceptable like we should yeah. have moved so far beyond that to that to still be fixating on policing i don't i'm trying to stop using the word policing to still be fixating on um scrutinizing people's body parts when it comes to gender is just it's so passé So let's just leave that aside for a moment. I had a conversation a few years ago with a couple of older ladies at the um, McIver Baths and they were in their 70s and they'd been going to the baths for 20 years. And I asked them, what is it that you love about them? And they said, well, we really like being able to come and just swim with each other and not kind of be observed on the beach by, you know, what we, we all know what it's like to sort of be under the perpetual male gaze. Even if there are no men around, like directly staring at us, we live in that kind of panopticon uh, sensation of constantly having the eye on us, you know, the eye of Sauron on us and saying, oh, I don't like that. Um, and I, so I remember thinking, because by this stage as well, they're in their 70s, you know, they were they were both like, fat and joyful and just enjoying swimming. And I remember thinking, yeah, because of course if you were on a beach with a body that didn't conform to what, uh, you know, the patriarchal gaze and patriarchal expectations demand of your body to be pleasing in a particular way, because of course it has to please people, then you're not you're not supposed to be allowed to go to the beach, right? No one wants yeah. to see that. No one wants to see that. But if you say, okay, cool, well, we've got this separate private beach that we can go to where you don't have to look at us. We'll just go and swim here. Oh, that's not fair. That's not fair. Why do you get your own beach? And I remember when I had that conversation thinking how that's really what it comes down to, isn't it? It's you're living in a body where you don't care what I think 
about it. And that pisses me off. You should care what I think about your body. Like that's how these people's minds operate, right? And that's why they're so determined to leave the comment because they're like, I'm going to tell her what I think. I, this is what I think in my opinion matters a lot for reasons unknown. And I, I totally agree with you that the the concept of us all saying, all right, well, we'll just, we'll go somewhere else. You can stay here. Have the, please enjoy it. Goodbye. Uh, is bothersome to people who want to inflict their opinions. And I, I say people because it's not just men. Mm. The comments are rife with other non-men who are, essentially and I, I actually I should say women because I have never experienced um you know with a trans or non-binary person ever trying to scrutinize my body or tell me how I should live because mm. for so obvious reasons problem. yes it is and um women who who are sort of saying oh I wouldn't do it or like oh I'm glad she has that confidence but mm, I'm not really sure that I like the two-piece I literally don't give a shit. Uh, but, yeah, the idea that men and women who still subscribe to these patriarchal ideas about bodies and what an ideal body is don't want to be left out of the opportunity to share their opinions and scrutinise and to be able to say, you can't do it because mm-hmm. that doesn't allow them to compete and win against marginalised people because if we remove the opportunity for them to compare themselves to us, who are they going to be elevated above? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And who will, who will they, who will they get to make feel bad today so that they can feel good? Yes. Which we know is such a healthy way to live. Um, So sarcastic tonight. Uh, (laughs) Well, I think, I think, you know, more than what you look like on the billboard, which you know that I think that you're bloody stunning. um, Not, I mean, that's obviously not the point of what we're talking about. I think that what you've, what you've, what you're going to do, what you've done and what you're going to do is really like, I I don't think it can be overestimated that it's going to be really world changing, particularly for young people who see your body living, you know, again, coming back to that word joyfully, living joyfully, unapologetically, not saying, you know, this is from, from listening to a lot of uh, fat activists speak over the years that sense of my life will begin, you know, the, the way that diet culture makes you believe that my life will begin when my body changes, when obviously that's complete bullshit and it just keeps people stuck in these really like toxic, abusive relationships with diet culture. I don't think that that's, that's being, you know, hyperbolic to say that it is an no. abusive relationship. No, I agree. Um, so to see, for them to, for people to be able to look at you and see that's someone who doesn't need to wait for life to, for something to happen for her life to begin because her life is happening now. She's in her life. She's in charge of her life. She's living her life in exactly the way that she's been given the privilege to do so in that she has the life and she's going to suck the marrow out of it. Absolutely. Yes. And, and that, that I, I love that. I love that characterization of me because I certainly uh, I'm I'm keenly aware of the fact that other people think they can't do what I've done and I refute that with my every fiber of my being. You can literally do whatever you want. 
you can literally love yourself or just accept yourself or go on the beach or you can, however it looks to you to say, I'm not holding back now just because someone told me I should or I should change myself. I'm not going to do it. You can literally start right now, this very second. You don't have to wait till the end of this episode, although you should, because I'm sure we're going to say some very enlightening things. You don't have to wait until tomorrow or Monday or the diet or the thing. You can just literally start straight away to go, I am going to care a bit less today about what other people think and do that every day until you don't care anymore. Exactly. And on that note, shall we do some caring and answer some questions from some little sisters? Let us be big sisters. Little Cranky Sister writes, Big Sisters, my friend is amazing, but she's dating a wanker. He's a classic mansplaining, useless jerk who didn't do anything with his life until she poured energy into moulding him into a quote-unquote good boy, and now he speaks the right words to her, but really he's just a child who wants a mother figure. They've been dating all their 20s, and they are 30 now. So despite my revulsion, I'm trying to be her friend. Pump her up. She's the best, but can't see it because of a childhood of neglect but I'm starting to lose respect for her for choosing to live her life with someone who clearly is flaming garbage. Help. April Helene Horton. What do you think? Oh, it's beginning to look a lot like dump him. Uh, <laughs> I, I Look, I've been this friend. I, I have been the dater of hot garbage. And I have also been the friend of mm-hmm. of the I have been the cranky little sister uh, in this situation, and in both cases you can't you literally can't see it till you can see it. There's there's no way for you to convince your friend that he's trash, even though most likely he is. It sounds like he's terrible, um, and I think that it's quite normal to feel frustrated and to think why can't you see what I can see, but. Any Look, and I, I'm reaching here because I don't have the facts, but there's a reasonable likelihood that this relationship might contain some elements that could be considered abusive because that's been my experience and I'm projecting that. But when you date someone who is a useless garbage something jerk, I, there were lots of descriptive words in there, but basically when you date men um, mostly, uh, you will find that your experience with them will not be like the movies unless the movie is a really terrible one. Um, and I think that as this friend, the only thing you can really do, and I know that you and uh, Jane Gilmore talked a lot about supporting friends through when it's known that they're being abused um, and when they know they're being abused. But when your friend doesn't know that they're experiencing a bad relationship because inside the relationship it feels A, normal, B, good, or C, just a bit confusing and like they're stuck in it, you only have two options and that is to stop being friends with that person and her horrible partner or support your friend and avoid the horrible partner wherever possible. Mm. Okay, so from the outset I would just like to say that as a disclaimer, we don't know whether or not this person is in an abusive relationship and they may or may not be. I don't feel like there's enough to go on in the email, although certainly some red flags. 
Um, but leaving that aside, there's enough in here that even if he's just a wanker, it's, you know, we've all been in that situation where our friend is dating someone who doesn't deserve them and but who, but who also manages to like suck all of the good things out of them. For me, what really stuck out in this was the fact that they've been dating all through their 20s and now they're 30 and she, this person involved in the relationship, uh, again, I'm going to speak generally because I think that this is something that happens to a lot of cis women in relationships with cis men, may feel like, well, I've invested all this time into him. I've kind of got him sort of to where I want him to be. I might want to have children. She may or may not want to have children, but oftentimes if you are a person in a relationship with a cis man who would like to have children, you have a sense because of the way that the world has conditioned us to feel like we, you know, we need to fall into the model of the nuclear family. And that the only way we can be successful as women operating in a patriarchal system is to find a man to pick us. I mean, I've been through that. You've been through that. We just talked before about how, you know, young April said heartbreakingly that she would put up with being treated like shit by someone if he just picked her. Um, and, I, you know, I, of course boys feel that same way in some sense that they would like to, you know, f they might be afraid that a woman will never want them or whatever, however you want to frame it. But generally speaking, the world doesn't say to boys, you are nothing unless you find a woman to marry you. That marriage to a woman is what will validate your existence, it's what will define your life, and it's what actually will elevate you from a shell of a human into a fully formed being. That's the domain really just reserved for girls in a patriarchal system. So I feel like starting there maybe would, would be helpful. Ask her, what is it that you want? Are you looking, you know, just in general in your life, you don't need to let her know that it's a serious conversation, but you can say to her, so what do you, how do you see yourself? Like is marriage something that's important to you or is not is even like long-term domestic de facto partnership something that's important to you? Would you like to have a family? What is it that that's keeping you in this relationship with this person who I feel doesn't really do that much to deserve you? And maybe she'll turn around and she'll say, well, you just don't know him like I do. He's really, really sweet. All of the things that we've all said about, uh, well, those of us who've dated cis men have said about cis men in the past. No, you just don't know him like I do. Because we're trying to convince ourselves, oh, he's he doesn't mean to be this way. He just, and by that way, when I when I say this way, oftentimes I'm just thinking he doesn't mean to be, you know, disinterested in my life. He doesn't mean to be lazy. He doesn't mean to kind of like not listen to me when I talk. But that's what it is. Like it's it's choosing to spend your life with someone who is kind of not really good enough for you and not really what you want, but he's there. He's the one who's there. So why throw him away? Absolutely. And look, I know, um, I jump straight to the most extreme side of things. And that's a lot about the experience that I've had and that I've witnessed. But I think about, you know, we're talking about someone in their 20s and going into their 30s and me in my 20s going into my 30s was in this relationship, was wasting this time and then worrying, well, I've wasted so much time now, I may as well just keep going because, you know, uh, that's logic. And I think looking at the idea of, 
leaving that person would be so extremely scary. You don't know. Your friend might have realized that this this guy's not for her, but doesn't literally just doesn't know. Well, what what do I do? Where would I live? You know, if they're if they're living together, if they've got lots of things tied up together, that maybe they have a pet. Like there's so many things that when you add them into the mix of you know what is a simple two person relationship, whether it's living arrangements or, or belongings or pets or whatever you complicate it and you add layers that have to be kind of peeled back before you can simply go, yep, I'm out. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, as you rightly said, there's not enough to go on in the email to know that it's more serious than just that he's a jerk. But the fact that everyone I know, (laughs) when my ex's name comes up, goes, God, I hated that guy. (laughs) Like, I just think, oh, I hope that 30 something Mm -hmm. cranky sister's friend can see the light or if she's already seen the light that she can get out of there and and that you know to help your friend the idea that you could have the conversation but also if you can't have the conversation simply creating opportunities for her to be with you sort of on her own because that might be what she needs also to to be like oh I feel so much lighter when this person's not around and now that they're not here actually I just want to tell you this thing and suddenly you're having that conversation organically not necessarily having to sort of say well so I've noticed this person's not great um so I definitely think try to try to make those chances for your friend to be supported by you is is the best thing that you can do I think that that's a really good point because what I was going to say was that she concludes by saying I'm losing respect for her because this jerk is still in her life basically and I think that's a really dangerous path to go down when you're dealing with your friends because as tricky as it can be to wrestle with those feelings of disgust for someone's partner or, you know, one thing that's been hard for me, and and this is a common experience as well for lots of people, is when their friends perpetually break up with someone and then, you know, particularly if there is some sort of form of emotional manipulation involved and break up with them, you support them through it. You say, yes, thank God you left that guy. He was a fuckwit. And then, of course, they get back together and how do you kind of move from that point where you say, well, now you know that I think that your boyfriend's a fuckwit, but also you've gone back to him. I mean, and, and that's something that we all need to kind of consider because when you are dealing with the more serious end of, uh, of treatment in a relationship and particularly with domestic abuse, it's really, and again, I'd just like to put the disclaimer that I'm not necessarily talking about abuse in the, in the context of this relationship we're discussing, but it's really difficult to leave and we know that people experiencing d- abuse or being targeted by domestic abuse take on average around seven attempts to leave that relationship. So, of course, there's going to be a lot of process with people dealing with their friends and their family and their loved ones going back to someone and you have to just maintain patience throughout that. And I sort of feel like that should be the same when it's just a case of you not liking the person because they're just a bit of a piece of shit. You know, they're not really, they're not doing anything bad or illegal or even abusive per se. They're just not good enough. If your friend keeps going back to them, you can express your frustration with that. But if they're your friend, you do have to continue to, to support them. You don't have to support their choices, but you can say, I, I still support you and I love you and I, and I am being this way because I want the best for you because I see how great you are and I don't think that this person treats you the way that you deserve to be treated and that's just my position on it. But if this is the person that you're choosing to spend your life with, then I will support you because I love you. I think that there's a real power in showing someone who 
for whatever reason, maybe one of the reasons why they stay in relationships that are inadequate is because they do think that that's the only kind of love that they can expect or deserve. So if your response to that is to say, well, I'm sick of this, I'm leaving, that confirms to them that they're not worth sticking around for. Whereas if you say, well, I love you and I love you so much that I'm going to stick by you even though I hate this fucking dick and I will even try very hard to not tell you that that's how I feel, but I love (laughs) you and you can't get rid of me, surely there has to be some kind of power in that. Absolutely. And I think uh, that's, that's a really important part of any relationship where things are not going well. If you are left with the only person that you're spending time with is the person that you're in that relationship with, mm. that only that only solidifies your idea that this person must be the right person because they're the only one who's staying with me. Mm. And, again, that's depending on the context of it. Could be they're making that situation happen by being toxic and manipulative or it could simply be that because, you know, your friends are not sticking by you that you're just simply then taking that on and them not being a part of your life going oh they clearly just don't they don't know this person like I know them and and so I'll stick by them because I'm sure that those little things that bother me they're just everybody has that right so and I think there's a difference between the casual annoyances of cohabitation and and the fact that someone's just a bit rubbish Mm. (laughs) but I think wrapping that question up you know, and when you and I started the episode today talking about the importance of friendship and the importance of of loving each other, um, if anyone out there is is struggling with this sense of how do you stand by someone who is making choices that you feel are not reflective of how great they are as a person, and, and by that I mean romantic choices, as hard as it is, you just have to champion your friend and you have to be you have to be their champion and let them know that whatever choice they make, and hopefully if it's the choice to kind of go it alone, that you will be there with them no matter what. Absolutely. And if and if they want to stay, you'll be there for when they need respite. And if they want to leave, you'll be there to help pack their bags. All of that. Okay, this is a long one, April. Like most people, 2020 was a shitty year for me. I broke up with my ex-boyfriend at the start of the year, and in the months after, I realized he was emotionally abusive to me at times. My best friend was initially very supportive of me after the breakup. She knew us well because her boyfriend was best friends with my ex, just like her and I were close. I started to feel less support from her. During the second lockdown, I approached her about it, and I used the term emotional abuse to describe my ex-boyfriend's treatment of me. She told me he wasn't emotionally abusive and that because I had made this claim, my feminism was hateful and exclusive of men. She used other people's stories of abuse to try and debunk mine, and she kept telling me his behavior was just shit, not abusive, and he had been making positive changes to his behavior since our breakup. She stood firm on these opinions over several more phone calls. I asked her to apologize and she eventually did, but it was quite vague and she didn't address her comments. We've barely spoken since then. I've been working on this stuff with my psych and for months I felt depressed. I'd convinced myself that she was right and I was being hyperbolic for describing his behavior as such. But in all my confusion, I even contacted him after months of no contact to apologize for saying this and for the things that I may have done in the relationship that hurt him. 
pause, 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 just move through that quickly. Um, I now know that my initial assessment was correct. I've also been unpacking my friend's behavior with my psych and I realized that she was gaslighting me. I feel a little bit dramatic by saying these things, but I'm more assured that it is true. I'm also working on a letter that I'm going to send to my friend to share with her about what I've been through since she said those things to me. I know now that my ex-boyfriend is seeing a new woman, and I know for sure that she, like me, is way too good for him. It's hurtful to know that my now ex-friend has befriended her, and I'm annoyed that another woman is potentially going to be harmed by him, but I'm also so sad at the thought that he might have changed and might treat her really well, when he couldn't afford me that respect. If this happens, it might prove my friend right for defending him. I have so many questions. Just hearing your opinion would be really helpful. How do I sit with the knowledge that he has now got an another amazing girlfriend and how do I continue friendships with people who still think my ex-friend is an amazing feminist because of the things that she posts on Instagram what if I run into her and would it be wrong of me to tell her that I believe that she was gaslighting me thank you so much healing wow that's a huge one and it's actually a really good follow-on from that first question April what are your thoughts this woman by the way she said that she's 23 so they're very young Oh, gosh. Um, such a lot to go through at 23. Mm. Uh, look, my initial response is like block <laughs> all of the people <laughs> in this situation. The 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 idea that you would continue to be influenced by someone who didn't have your back and who would, what about you, when you tell them that you were abused and even go so far as to convince you that they were right, nuts. Just no, I I know that it's really hard to to quit a friendship, to break up with a friend. I did it. I've done it. Uh, you know, and it at times you you do think, oh, maybe they were right, but in this case, this person is no friend. Mm. I don't think. Uh, and I and I also would. And this is hard because I'm 36 and I have done and seen and just you know so so many so many years difference and and experiences so I realize that this young person is obviously um you know needs to go through their own experiences but if 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 I was to say anything I would say just absolutely don't do anything don't don't try to convince these people that you're right because they already don't think that you're right so don't just don't waste any more energy or any more time don't send the letter don't read their faux feminism Instagram posts. Don't spend any time, if you can help it, thinking about the what ifs of your boyfriend's new relationship, your ex boyfriend's new relationship, because at the end of the day, you have your whole, the whole rest of your life to make a new friend, to get a new boyfriend, to do all these amazing things. And you know, when you keep putting your energy into this this concern, and I, you know, I do understand that feeling like am I, am I crazy? Like literally wondering if you were wrong and the whole idea of being gaslit by a friend about an abusive relationship is so horrifying and it would leave you feeling so unsure of yourself because you think the people that you trust aside from your ex-boyfriend when they, when you're in that relationship would be your friend. So if your friend's telling you you're wrong, then maybe you are wrong. But the fact of the matter is this person has picked who they're going to believe and it isn't you. So just don't, 
they're not your friend anymore. Like mm. that's, I don't know if that's too harsh a thing to say. And I don't know if I'm not really, um, you know, giving, giving enough thought to what I'm saying, but I think, and again, this is colored by my experience. This is my response is impacted by the fact that I know in my past, I've been sort of, I would say gaslit, but just sort of made to feel as if standards must be like my standards must be too high if I expect to be treated well and again that calls back to what we've spoken about around younger me being willing to tolerate absolutely terrible behavior um I do think that at 23 you can start now to 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 do the things that you you know your later self will be like man that was so mature of me like that was so I was so strong and resilient and I just think even though it feels like you should clear the air, I I would absolutely just say I'm done with all of those people and put them in the bin. I think that you're correct. I also think that there is, like I said, there's a lot going on in there. Um, I really feel for you healing, little sister. This is a really hard thing for you to go through, not only to reckon with the fact that you experienced this abuse in your relationship, but and you've obviously been doing a lot of therapy to get through that so congratulations for that but to be disbelieved is so compounding to trauma to have people gaslight you and say that you're wrong or that you're being troublesome or that you're making things up in a lot of cases well certainly speaking from my own personal experience is actually worse than things that have been done to you because being believed is such a you know and being validated in your testimony is something that is so central to healing and overcoming what you've you've had to endure. You know, we are all gaslit in a patriarchy. We all have men telling us all the time, cis men I should say, telling us all the time that we are that our, our testimonies of our lives and our experiences of our lives are wrong, that we couldn't possibly know what we're talking about. That stuff to me has always been again a lot more difficult to deal with than whatever I may have been talking about in the first place. So you're dealing with that. Sounds like you've you've you know gotten a lot of help and support for that, which is great. But I also really strongly empathize with you at the fear that you have that this new partner is going to benefit in some way from from your bad experience. That your ex boyfriend may have learned or grown in some way, and and she will. I mean, that is something, obviously, I assume that you're speaking about this with your psych as well, but this is something that, again, lots of us have an experience of, particularly those of us who have uh, well, been in love, regardless of whether or not you're in love with men or women or date men and women. I mean, I've experienced it with both of them, that you have that terrible, not necessarily the emotional abusive fact, but that terrible fear afterwards that the next person is going to be the one that they do all of the things for that you wanted them to do for you. And that the very act of them doing them is somehow a signifier of your worth and validity as a human being. That's a really, really hard thing to deal with. I think that the sensible, wise thing for you to do, though, is to really like write it down if you need to and put it on your mirror, put it somewhere where you can see it every day. Come to terms with the fact that whatever happens after you has no bearing on who you are as a person. It's not an indicator of whether or not you deserved to have those things done for you or not. It is, it's, 
it's really nothing to do with you anymore. And I don't, I'm not, I don't mean that in a harsh way. I mean that whether or not he's the same or whether or not he's improved, it doesn't change the fact that when he was with you, he was a piece of shit and you didn't deserve that. And that's all that you really need to say to yourself is that you didn't deserve the way that he treated you. If he's changed now, I mean, hopefully for the sake of all of the other people who come after you, he will go on some kind of emotional growth and learning, but it also doesn't make him the person, if, if he does that and he becomes a, you know, quote unquote, good boyfriend, it doesn't mean that you've missed out somehow. He was a piece of shit to you when it mattered and didn't care about you and didn't, didn't treat you the way that you deserve to be treated. So that's kind of the story that you have to sit with in terms of who he is. Not being believed by your friend is, you know, like I said, compounds that trauma. But again, if she observes him treating, I mean, you never know what's going on in someone's relationship. So maybe he's really, really good at putting on a good front to everyone so that they think he's great. But either way, you can't be in control of how she thinks about things. You can't be in control of what she says in public versus what she does in private. That's something for her to deal with. Her own, her own navigation of this is, is her problem. And as hard as it is to let go of that and as hard as it, as it is to learn the lesson that you can only be responsible for your feelings and for the way that you respond to things, it is an important lesson to, to learn as you grow up and you and you kind of navigate more of these interpersonal relationships with people. It's not your responsibility to make other people be better than what they are. Totally agree. And I think also we do grow and change. And the fact that this person totally sucked when they were in a relationship with you isn't an indication of your worth and it isn't an indication that you should do anything differently. Someone in the future you will meet and you will be the exact same awesome person that you are and they will behave in the way that someone should and treat you well and be kind to you and never make you feel like you've been manipulated or, or, or abused or anything like that because it's not an indication. Someone else being shitty to you is an indication of them, not of you. And I think, little sister, that what you really need is a hug from a real friend and a really solid belief that you deserve the best. Hmm. And you do. And also, like you said, you're 23. It's a terrible thing for you to have gone through this young, something this young. It is a terrible thing for you to have gone through something like that this young. But if there can be a silver lining, you have learned already what the warning signs are for this behavior. And very hopefully will you know won't um the next time a, a guy tries to do this to you you'll be able to apply what it is that you've you've learned from this first experience and that's a really powerful thing to be going through I mean at such a young age that's a really powerful weapon to have it's a really powerful knowledge to have um so too I think is the terrible sad lesson that your friends will not always stand by you, even though they should. And, and you can't, like I said, you can't be, you can't have, you can have feelings about that, of course, but you can't take on responsibility for that either way. I think that you're going to be okay. 
I think so too. And I think if anything from both of these little sister questions we can realize is that being a good friend is supporting your friend and, and looking after your, your friends when they need you, even, even though you might feel uncomfortable or you might, you know, um, share a different opinion at the end of the day, a good friend will, will support you and stand by you. So. And as well to anyone else listening, remember this when you're called on to be that friend who is being asked to believe someone about what it is that they've experienced. And remember as well that what you see on the outside of a relationship is very rarely the whole truth. And just because a guy is nice to you doesn't mean he's always nice behind closed doors and doesn't mean he likes all women the same. But healing, you are healing and you're going to be good. You've been listening to the Big Sister Hotline, a weekly advice podcast that delivers no-nonsense words with love from the kind of people you know have your back your big sisters. If you have a question, you can submit it to bigsisterhotline at gmail.com. And don't worry, all submissions are treated as totally anonymous because we're big sisters and we've got your back. If you'd like to support the ongoing making of this podcast, you can find me on Patreon under the username Clementine Ford. That's all one word. My guest this week has been April Helene Horton. She is a model now, a writer, a body positivity activist, and one of my very best friends, April. Any final words? Just a reminder to everyone that every day is a great chance to accept and love yourself and other people, and I'm sending you all a big hug. Have a wonderful whatever you're having. Oh, I think that's such a beautiful way to end as well, particularly with the questions we had that, you know, a lot of that is about acceptance even when even when it's hard for us to accept whether or not it's yourself or whether or not it's things that your friends are doing, learning how to accept things and to celebrate them for what they are is such an important part of growing up. And because we're old, we know this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, April, I love you. I look forward to growing old with you, with FaceTime or whatever, you know, new technology we're going to have. And uh, I just think that you're marvellous and I'm so very glad, not just for me, but for everyone else who benefits from you. I'm so very glad that you're in the world. Oh, I love you too and I feel just the same and I can't wait to be in your real oxygen space again sometime soon. Yay! Remember, there's no topic too thorny and no question too weird for the Big Sister Hotline. We're here for all the questions you don't want to ask your therapist especially now that it has to be over Zoom. So contact us instead. The Big Sister Hotline. The phone lines are open. Mom. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 